10 Minute Talks, a podcast in which the world's leading professors explain the latest thinking in the humanities and social sciences in just 10 minutes. I'm Isabel Armstrong. I'm a fellow of the British Academy, the UK's voice for the humanities and social sciences. And today I'm talking about the Victorian poet Elizabeth Barrett Browning, often known by her initials EBB. I think she must be one of the few Victorian women poets who are still a household name today. It's quite a feat. Many people will know her by the sonnet, How Do I Love Thee? Part of a sonnet sequence, sonnets from the Portuguese, which she wrote to her husband, Robert Browning, before they were married and gave to him after their elopement. And that elopement in 1846 has become the stuff of popular imagination, popularised, made famous by the play, The Barracks of Browning, of, of Wimpole Street, and also by the two movies of 1934 and 1957. To read the letters, the courtship letters of the Brownings, is an extraordinary experience. And I think perhaps this is where one has to start if one is, one a, if one is a first-time reader of both poets. They learned, as Elizabeth expressed it, talking upon paper. And they talked about everything, what they were writing, the weather, flowers, other people's works, and themselves. Sometimes that writing, it's so intense that one almost feels like an interloper. You have come to me as a dream comes, Elizabeth wrote, as the best of dreams come. And she talked about her hypersensitivity to the post upon which, of course, they depended wholly. Uh, and she talks about waiting for the eight o'clock in the evening post, something we can't do today. Um, and she says, I have heard the footsteps of a letter of yours, 10 doors off. It's as if she's hyper alert and waiting for that letter. On his part, Robert Browning himself wrote, I have loved you all my life, unawares. That is the idea of you. So this extraordinary exchange continues. There's a marvelous letter from Robert in which he condemns passive filial obedience in response to a request or urgent worry by Elizabeth about whether she should be totally obedient to her tyrannical father. He was quite certain that she should not. It's very moving, I think, that in planning the elopement and the cross-channel steamers, he was so involved in a correspondence with Elizabeth about Ossian that um, he got the times of the steamers wrong. He copied down the times of the steamers from Le Havre and not from Southampton. I think we're all very lucky that he realized his mistake in time because history could have been very different. Now, I've begun with the letters because what they show us is Elizabeth Barrett Browning's extraordinarily confident and powerful voice. Very, very confident, female voice, very assertive, sometimes almost declamatory. And it's a voice that brought an entirely new register 
to women's poetry. It's a voice, it's that power and strength that Elizabeth Browning brings to poetry. I think she was thinking of the tradition of Sappho, the very powerful ancient Greek poetess, and as it were, reanimating and revivifying that tradition. As the prisoners think of liberty, she says in one of her letters, as the dying think of heaven, so I think of you. You must know what you are to me, if you know at all what I am, she says, telling Robert not to be deprecating. Now, when we come to the poetry, that register is there in a very strong and um, almost declamatory way. I'm going to read you a sonnet, Sonnet 22 of Sonnets from the Portuguese, to show you how that voice works in the sonnet. I think she transformed the sonnet. I think these sonnets are quite remarkable in their originality. It's Sonnet 22. When our two souls stand up erect and strong, face to face, silent, drawing nigh and nigher, until the lengthening wings break into fire at either curved point. What bitter wrong can the earth do to us that we should not long be here contented? Think. In mounting higher, the angels would press on us and aspire to drop some golden orb of perfect song into our deep, dear silence. Let us stay rather on earth, beloved, where the unlit, unfit, contrarious mouths of men recoil away and isolate pure spirits and permit a place to stand in and love in for a day with darkness and the death hour rounding it. That aggressive think in the sixth line, completely kind of plowing up the sonnet and plowing up content, uh, conventional ideas because it's a very heterodox sonnet. She says, we don't want to go to heaven. Heaven will oppress us, angels will oppress us. We want to stay here on earth and have our terrestrial love here on earth. Now, there are many poems which have this authoritative, powerful, assertive voice. Um, there's The Cry of the Children, uh, a poem about factory, child factory labor, in which she speaks of the rushing of the iron wheels, which dizzy the children who are at work. There's the extraordinary runaway slave at Pilgrim's Point. I am black, I am black, the slave keeps on reiterating um, and kills her child rather than let it live as a white child because it indicates that it's been fathered by the father rights of the slave owner. It was a controversial poem for her because of course her family's income came from plantations in Jamaica. So it is a very, very um, compromised poem in some ways. There are also other poems. Um, there's particularly the huge verse novel of 1856, Aurora Lee, Longer Than Paradise Lost, in which the aggressive feminist, Aurora Lee, who hates reading books about womanhood, hates making wax, wax flowers, nevertheless has to begin to understand class and poverty in a different way in a kinder and more gentler way. And above all, she has to understand that rape and violence do not uh, elicit condemnation, but 
it's necessary to understand the violence of sexual assault. Then there are the Italian poems, the poems of the Risorgimento, uh, so the um, Casa Guidi Windows of 1851, and poems before Congress in 1860. All this, but I want to end with a quite remarkable poem, a musical instrument, published posthumously in 1862. What was he doing? What was he doing? The great god Pan, down, down in the reeds by the river, spreading ruin. Well, he was spreading ruin. He was spreading ecological ruin by damaging the golden lilies and the dragonflies. And he was pulling a reed out of the river in the interests of making his pan pipes. Those were indeed sweet. So sweet, she says, that the sun on the hill forgot to die. Nevertheless, the poem remembers through the reed the myth of Syrinx, who was turned into a reed in order to escape the sexual violence of Pan. And this poem, I think, is so extraordinary because it asks so many questions. It asks what I think of as Nietzschean questions about art and violence, art and sexuality. However, we shall re never really know how EBB went on to pursue and explore these, I think, rather different questions from her earlier poetry. We shall never know this because in 1861, aged only 55, she died in Florence in the arms of her husband. Thanks for listening to this British Academy podcast. Please subscribe, share and rate this series from wherever you get your podcasts. For more events and conversations, please visit www.thebritishacademy.ac.uk or find and follow us on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter.